My whole life is in that verse. Okay, like Jimmy was saying, I originally had some specific passage to share on, but then I get this uh, opportunity to share more of a prophetic word. And I thought, oh boy, what a treat. And what a responsibility. And as I prayed about it, what kept bubbling up was this that I'm going to share with you this morning. And it's in the same vein as what Jimmy shared about four weeks ago. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you didn't have a chance the first time. There is so much speculation these days. Are we living in the end times? There are wars and rumors of wars. There are those that say, we are not living in the last days. Everyone thought that the end of the world was going to be Y2K, but nothing happened. And remember when people thought the atrocities of World War II and the Holocaust was so horrible, that must be the end. But the world didn't end then either. So everything going on right now, it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. Well, to those people, I'd like to read 2 Peter 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I think it's pretty humorous that the scoffers are in the last days scoffing. And they don't even realize it. And then there's this scripture in 2 Timothy 3. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Think of the epidemic of slander on social media these days. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. In my opinion, this passage is truer today in describing our world than ever before in history. So even though I'm not a biblical scholar, I have to say it sure seems like we're at least at the start of the last days. But then again, you know Matthew 24, 36, that says about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So really it's pointless to try and figure out if we are living in the end times. And for today, we don't need to answer this question. Because honestly, it doesn't matter exactly when Jesus chooses to return. Whether he returns tomorrow, a hundred years from now, or a million years, my friends, we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. So if we don't know the exact hour of his return, what do you do with this scripture in Matthew 16, 2 to 3? Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. 
here. Jesus is reprimanding the Pharisees and Sadducees because they were unaware of the signs of the times. He obviously wants us to be aware of the times we are living in. Well, I don't want to make the same mistake as the Pharisees and Sadducees. And even though it's pretty obvious to us all looking at the figurative sky, I would say it sure looks red and overcast. I believe we are definitely in a stormy season. Which leads me to my topic this morning. I feel an urgency to talk about how we should live and prepare ourselves to make it through Matthew 16 too. How should we live during stormy times? But before I get into that, I want to start by sharing with you what I believe to be God's purpose for these difficult days. That he doesn't flippantly just take us through the storm. Here are two reasons and a few scriptures that may hint at what the purposes are for the trials and tribulation of this hour. Number one. God is making a distinction clear. Back in the day, even a couple of years ago, felt like everybody was a Christian. You say the prayer, you go to church on Sunday, you wear a cross. Of course, you're a Christian. But honestly, I don't know how true or deep was their faith. And my friends, testing will often cause true gold to rise to the surface and the dross to burn. And I believe in these days, God is sifting the church to see who has genuine faith. Pew Research Center offered an article describing how many are walking away from Christianity. It reports that in 1972, 92% of Americans said they were Christians. But by 2070, that number is predicted to drop below 50%. Even though these statistics are sad and discouraging, do not be surprised when people walk away from their faith during difficult times. As it says in 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Of course, the church needs to do a better job of discipleship, encouragement, creating an environment of healing for those in the church. But no pastor, no life group leader will measure up to everything they want or need. People fail and will fail. And that's why only those who are deeply rooted in God alone will stand. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 talks about those whose house is built on the foundation of the rock of Christ. Those people will remain in the midst of the storm. Second, Another purpose of stormy days is that those who survive the shaking and genuinely want to follow God will have to walk in such dependence on the Holy Spirit that they will walk in greater power and authority than ever before. Look at the book of Acts. As the persecution and difficulties increased, signs and wonders increased, and his presence became much more manifest. Likewise, in these days of stormy weather, even though some may fall away, 
those who remain will become so desperate for God. And the result will be signs, wonders, healing, salvation, and deliverance. And that gets me excited. It's like when I was pregnant with my kids. I knew the delivery would be hard and painful, especially with Alden, who was close to being a 10-pound baby. But I was so thrilled and so ready to finally meet my children face to face. It was worth it in the end. And that's the sense I have inside of me. Even as I see the storms, this excitement grows. A feeling of anticipation and a longing for his presence. That his glory will be manifest in the church. God is getting us ready for the end time harvest. Miraculous moves of God. Stories of redemption. Kind of like this one. Where someone that is as far away from Jesus like this Islamic terrorist sovereignly encounters God in prison. Let's watch. You know things about God without him ever saying anything to you. The first thing I knew about him was his holiness. I knew he's a holy God. And uh, I knew that he's just. And I knew immediately that uh, simultaneously these things are going through my mind and my heart. And I knew I'm on hold. This is in spite of all the good things I've done in my life. I knew that I have sins in my life and I knew that uh, he's just and he must judge me. And because of his justice, I deserve death. At that moment, I felt a touch on my left shoulder and a voice. That says, I forgive you. And uh, I didn't understand. I did not understand uh, what, how could that be possible? Because, because I had heard Allah is forgiving and merciful, but we cannot know his forgiveness till the day of judgment. So I said, who are you that forgives me? And I feel forgiven today. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I did not understand what that means because I had never heard those words. So I said, what is your name? And he said, Jesus Christ, the living God. I fell onto the floor. And I just wept. He told his fellow prisoners what happened. Some shunned him, others followed him to faith. Isn't that powerful? About a month ago, I woke up one morning with a clear prophetic word from God. I woke up to him saying, it's time to redig the wells of revival. And I saw the picture of the tree with a river flowing underneath it that's at the side of our building. And there was a sense that a well had been dug before and that well had a bunch of sand in it that filled it with the passing of time and difficulties endured. And God was saying, it's time to dig that well so that the dirt can come out and the water can flow again so that it's accessible for those who are thirsty. God is about to move. It says in Joel 2, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Like I said, the stormy days have a purpose and God will shake what can be shaken so that what is of him will remain. Vessels upon whom he can pour out his spirit of power. But getting back to the point of this sermon, I have a distinct memory of a teacher that was saying to a class that I was in, I want to prepare you. There's a pop quiz coming and you need to be ready for it. I'm going to help you out by writing up some of the questions on the chalkboard that's going to be on the test, and it's going to count as a major grade. Half the class, including me, we were frantically writing down the questions to study, while astonishingly, the rest of the students were sleeping in their seats. And as you can imagine, they were not ready when it came time to take that test. My message to you is, Even though we have a glimpse of his purpose in challenging times, we also must prepare so that we are ready to stand in the storm. Matthew 24, 44 says, Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Mark 13, 36, Stay alert in case he should come suddenly and unexpectedly and find you asleep. And unprepared. So how do you do that? I realize there are many ways in which we can prepare. But I want to share with you just a few things that God specifically laid on my heart for this morning. There are four points. Number one, deal with sin. Wow. Huge topic, right? I realize this is not a fun topic. Some people have a visceral response when you talk about sin. I've heard people say, I don't like sermons about sin because it makes me feel bad. Or, I feel like God is mad at me and I can never be perfect, so why try? Or what about this, don't be legalistic. Or how about, it makes me feel shame and I don't like that. Whether these thoughts are the reason or whether you don't like sermons about sin simply because you like the fleeting pleasures of sin, Hebrews eleven twenty five, and you don't want to give it up. Yes, let's be honest. Sin is fun for a season until it ends in death. No matter why you don't want to talk about it, I tell you right now, it's the devil's tactic to keep you living in and practicing sin because he knows that ultimately the end result of sin Uh, end result of sin is to destroy you and to divide you from God and others and to keep you from walking fully in the joy and the freedom and call of God on your life. What does the Bible have to say? James 4, 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. God is not wagging his finger at you. He is pleading with you. For your sake, purify your hearts. Don't have your loyalty divided because why? Then you cannot stand in the storm. Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. 
Listen, this is a starting point of being ready for what God wants to do in our day. And I'm not talking about being legalistic or fearful. What I am talking about is being sensitive to whatever's in your life that tries to put a wedge between you and God. Let's be real. No one is perfect. We all sin. We all fail. But 1 John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. No one living on earth was or is perfect and without sin besides Christ. God is not expecting perfection from you, but he has taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, as it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and he has made you a new creation so that your heart and spirit longs for God above sin. Question is, Are you living opposite of how God intended after you had been reborn into a new life? Are you continuing to live in sin without seeking forgiveness or help to become free? And if you are, eventually, the Bible says your conscience will be seared. 1 Timothy 4.2 Your heart will become hard and like stone again so that you no longer care that you are separated from God. And that, my friends, is a terrifying place to be. While we are living on this earth, we are in a sanctification process. The goal is that we're growing in our desire for God and his ways over our desire for sin. But it requires a diligent tending to our hearts to make sure it is free of the sin that the Bible says so easily besets us. Hebrews 12.1. So how do you do this? Let's look at 1 John again. It says, if we confess. Bring your sin to the light because when it's hidden and in the dark, the devil has power over you and can wreak havoc in your life. There are three scriptures I want us to look at really quickly. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If you confess, you find healing, purification, and mercy. Why wouldn't we want that? Second part of repentance. Saying I sinned is only the first step. There must be repentance. A genuine recognition and sorrow for the sin and repentance that leads to repentance and not condemnation. What do you do after the remorse? You take practical steps to change. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect in your steps to change. What it means is that you're moving towards God and his ways. And if you fall, you get up again and confess again and repent again until you realize I'm so much closer to Jesus than I am to that sin last year. You do this until you're completely free. It's like when you clean house. The first time you move in, 
If you never clean it again, your house will eventually become dirty again. You have to be diligent to consistently keep your house clean. All right, number two. Another step to being prepared is now that the house is clean, you need to fill it with the Holy Spirit and with those things that will keep your faith burning. Let's look at the parable of the ten virgins. And for the sake of time, I'm going to give you a synopsis. Jesus tells a story of ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, had no extra oil. Five were wise, and they took extra oil. This is what it says in verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. He was taking a long time. They became lax. They fell asleep, the Bible says, and their lamps went out. Why? Because they were not replenishing their lamps with more fuel. Because they got tired. Have you felt that way recently? I confess I have. I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting the good fight. The amount of craziness out in the world today is overwhelming. I can't deal or care about one more person. And I need a break from all the crazy. I just want to chill and eat ice cream and donuts. (laughs) I may be stepping on some toes right now, including my own. Of course, there is a time to rest and recuperate. But even in the time of rest, it's to get refilled with oil so you can keep burning. Not to disengage and pull away and say, I'm just going to coast now because I can't handle anything else. Because whether we are in the season of recouping or on active duty, we must stay alert, ready, getting filled up so we don't miss what God wants to do. Thankfully, even though the wise ones also became drowsy and sleepy, they had extra oil to light their lamps when it started going out. But the foolish ones didn't have any. It says in verse 8 and 9, Foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Listen, you cannot think, oh, I'll depend on someone else's relationship or revelation of the Holy Spirit. You cannot ride on the coattails of your parents, your friends, or your pastor. You have to own your own relationship with the Lord and daily be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like the wise virgins in this parable, you must make sure that you have what you need to keep your own lamp burning. Luke 12, 35. Be dressed and ready for active service and keep your lamps continuously burning. How clear is that? You know how the story ends. While the foolish ones went to look for more more oil, the bridegroom came and the door was shut. Sad that they were not better prepared. And what is this oil that the lamp, that keeps the lamp burning that the Bible is talking about? Well, obviously, the most obvious one is the Holy Spirit. 
Because we know the Bible often will use oil as a symbol for the Holy Spirit. It says in five, Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled or be continuously filled with the Spirit. What other fuel then do I need to cause me to continue to burn for Jesus? In addition to the Holy Spirit, I need prayer. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And I must be reading the word. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You must be saying, I've heard that a million times. That's nothing new. Well, maybe it's not. But we need God to breathe new life into the mundane things because it's more critical than ever before. Fill your oil so that you can stand in the storm and be ready for what God wants to do. Number three, be discerning. Why? Because the Bible specifically warns that deception will be a major tool of the enemy in the last days. 1 Timothy 4 again. Spirit clearly says in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Revelations 27. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to do what? To deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. It's pretty clear. Deception will be our greatest foe in these last days. There is so much deception out there, right? Everything from the transgender movement where some say a man can become a woman and a woman can be a man and so on. My heart breaks for those who have brought into those lies. But do not fear deception because God has given us the truth of his word. Truth is the antidote of deception. Also, God has given us the gift of discernment and the community of believers to deal with this foe. These are the most powerful weapons against it. Mark 12, 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Error! is caused by not knowing the scriptures and not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why it is more critical than ever before to be grounded in the word and to be walking in discernment. I shared on this gift when we did our series a while back on the Holy Spirit, and I encourage you, go back and listen to it again. And I want to say here, Discernment works best in community. As individuals, we don't have all the answers because the Bible says we only know in part. 1 Corinthians 13, 9. Sometimes my blind spots keep me from being able to see the truth about something. And that's when you lean on a trustworthy brother or sister to speak into your life. Don't let bitterness, anger, judgment keep you from walking with believers as messed up as humans can be they are also God's provision to sharpen us challenge us and keep us in line God has given us everything we need for life and godliness second Peter 1 3 if we don't utilize what he has provided we will be ill prepared for these days all right you still with me 
Number four and the last one, okay? I finally, I believe that in these days, God is calling us to courage. Making decisions to stand with God and his word and not go along with the crowd. It's one thing to not be afraid when something happens, to take that fear that threatens your heart and give it to God, and that is great and needed. It's another thing, another step to respond with courage and to choose to do something with the conviction that you have within, especially now when it is no longer popular to be a Christian or to hold to the truths of the word. Remember Caleb in the Old Testament? He came back with a good report about the promised land while the other 11 brought back a fearful report. But Caleb was willing to stand alone on God's promise and not waver. Remember Esther, who went before the king at the risk to her own life to plead for the lives of her people. That's the kind of courage we need in the storm. I remember seeing a show many years ago where they were discussing human nature and the idea of conformity. How many of you know that God can use anything to speak to you, including a donkey? Well, he really spoke to me when I was watching this show. They did an experiment about peer pressure where they had a secret camera in a doctor's office, and I want you to watch this with me. To answer that question, we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this, or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. It's pretty funny, but kind of scary, isn't it? I remember watching this really fascinated. And as I watched this, God spoke to me two things. Number one. God made human beings to walk in community. It's a natural tendency because God created us to depend on each other because there is strength or power in numbers. So what this means is be careful who you surround yourself with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's so important to stay connected to a group of strong believers who are pursuing Jesus if you want to stand on your convictions. Because chances are, you will begin to act like those who you spend the most time with if they are your primary influence, whether good or bad. Second thing I learned 
Just because everyone does it doesn't mean it's right. I must be willing to stand alone if need be to follow Jesus. There's a great hymn that I love. Though none go with me, still I will follow. We need to know the truth of his word so that we have a plumb line to know what we believe. Then we need courage. The power or quality of dealing with or facing danger, fear, or pain. I realize this might be hard at times. It's so much easier to go with the crowd. And I'm not talking about being different simply for the sake of being different or being reckless or crass. And sometimes it is the right thing to hold your tongue until a more opportune moment. What I am talking about is standing up for Jesus, for your faith, and for truth with grace, kindness, right attitude and heart, and godly timing, even if it means you stand alone. I want to tell you a story of someone who decided to stand alone. Brian Jones is a successful businessman in our church who has a history of being involved with highly reputable financial institutions on Wall Street. In addition, he and his wife Pam are deeply committed believers who have taken their faith into the world of finance that God had called them to. Well, their family moved to Waco a couple of years ago and have been a part of our congregation. Several years ago, Jeff and I and our son Alden had the privilege of meeting with Brian to hear about his experiences and journey in this world of finance, especially because Alden had a desire to go in that direction. And as we sat to hear how he ended up in this field and what God had taught him, he told us a story that I would like to share with you this morning about courage. Brian spoke of how after the stock market crash of 87, the finance job he was hoping for in New York all but disappeared. And he was desperately looking for any job that could help pay the bills as he and Pam were about to be married. He finally was able to land a job in L.A. with a company he wanted to work for. And six weeks into the job, he was invited to go out on the town with the boss. After dinner, the boss invited Brian to be a part of, let's say, a compromising situation that clearly crossed the line of his Christian conviction. And when Brian refused to be a part, the boss continued to badger him and made it clear that Brian would be terminated if he did not comply. He stood his ground. He politely but clearly told his boss, I'm not going to do it. Not knowing if he'd be fired the very next day. Brian's story ended well. He didn't get fired. And many in the firm heard what he had done and secretly congratulated him for standing his ground. His courage ended up being the catalyst for him to build a reputation in the firm. And 10 years later, he became a partner. Like I said, it ended well. But Brian said to us, he was willing to stand up for his convictions, even if he was terminated. I know there are many stories like his in this room that I may not know about, but God does. Being courageous means being immovable and unshakable in the truth. 
even when you feel afraid. And I have this feeling that these opportunities to stand for your faith and for Jesus will only increase in this next season, along with persecution. But remember, you are braver than you think. And the Spirit of God who lives inside of you and lives inside of me will give you the boldness that you need. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. So what do I feel that God is saying to us this morning in relation to courage? I believe God highlighted two things. Number one, before the moment comes when you have to be brave, make a decision to do the right thing. And obey God and choose to stand for Jesus no matter what. Brian said when he told us his story, I expected the testing and was prepared to make the decision that I made. In the moment, you don't have the time to decide. I had already made up my mind that God can get me another job if I needed it. Brian decided beforehand that he wasn't going to compromise. And that's what I mean. We have to count the cost before the situation arises. Luke 14. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20? Isaiah 57. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. Secondly, I believe the ability to walk in courage is directly tied to your prayer life. Remember Peter? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked his disciples to watch and pray, Mark 14. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter had a lot of bravado. He thought he was courageous. He just said to the Lord in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. His desire and his spirit was willing to stand for the Lord. But Jesus knew fleshly bravado is not going to be enough. He knew that Peter would need Holy Spirit courage. So he advised Peter to watch and pray, verse 38. But Peter was too tired, and he slept. And so when the time came, he was not prepared with God's strength to be courageous. And when asked by others if he was Jesus' disciples, he denies it three times. God is gracious. He's forgiving. He later restores Peter. But then I want you to look with me. Compare that Peter to the one in Acts. He learned his lesson, and in Acts 1-4, it says, Peter and the other disciples, they all joined together, and what? Constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Peter and the other, other disciples realized communion with the Lord was essential in their ability to stand for Christ. And if you read the rest of Acts, you see how courageous these disciples were so that those who had run away in fear when they came to arrest Jesus were the same ones who were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name, Acts 5.41.
Okay, I'm about to close, so hang in there. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, all you college students out there, I was at a retreat. I went outside after the night session was over. And it was super clear to me at that moment of who God is and how real he is and who I am as his child. And I said to God, God, in this moment, when I am free of deception and fear, I ask that you would give me the boldness that I need to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in me, no matter what. It was a moment of decision, of counting the cost. Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Okay, let's wrap up. The band could come up. The world can seem overwhelming and out of control, and in many ways it is. We are in the midst of a storm. And whether that storm is the start of the last days or not, we need to be prepared. You know, to the measure you respond to the word of God, that is how much fruit this particular word will have in your life. So it's up to you. For ministry time, I want to take a few minutes for you to consider four questions based on today's message and see if God would have you respond to any or all of them. Number one, do I need to repent of any sin so that I can stand strong in the midst of the storm? Number two, do I need to make a fresh commitment to be filled with the Spirit and be devoted to God in word and prayer? Number three, am I walking in deception in area, any area of my life? And number four, am I ready to give an account for the hope that is in me and take a stand even if I have to stand alone? Amen. Why don't we all stand? Man, we have gotten the words of God, right? Not just the word of the Lord, but the word of God has been rich this morning. But as Dorothy already said, it's our response to the word of God that makes it real in our own lives. And every time we gather, we always have prayer teams 